Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. Here we go. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. You're locked into the Believe Hour here on SportsMap Radio. That's Believe, B-L-E-A-V, the number one content network for professionals. Make sure you check us out at Believe.com. We've got over 250 shows on the network, over 400 hosts. If you've got a topic, a sport, a team that you're interested in, there's a good chance that Believe has the best show for you. So make sure that you check us out. Again, that's Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V, and this is the Believe Hour on SportsMap Radio with your boy Joe Serralo. We're going to get to it all. We have the man that you've been hearing about all week joining the show. He is the newest commit to the University of Oklahoma's football team, and he already has the best name in college football. That's right, General Booty, quarterback commit to Oklahoma, sophomore JUCO transfer. He is joining the show to talk about his rise to fame this week, how he's handled it, and of course, a little football. His decision as to why Oklahoma was the spot for him. We're going to get to the NBA playoffs. Obviously, both conference finals have played a game. Neither game has been all that close. We haven't seen a close NBA game in about over a week. We will lead you into the Heat-Celtics game two Towards the later portion of the program, Luka, Luka Doncic. You'll get my reaction in the next segment, in that opening segment, as to what the heck we witnessed last night in the Bay Area. But before we dive too deep into any of that, I do want to touch on something sticking with the college football theme, and that's Nick Saban's remarks yesterday about the NIL, Saban putting Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies program on full blast, saying that, Well, the reason that we're the number two recruiting class, they're number one, is because they pay all their players. Nick, slow your roll. I know that you're the greatest college football coach of all time. Alabama's the greatest college football program. Alabama's been paying their players for decades, as have many other big programs, all right? So I don't want to hear anything critical about Jimbo Fisher, about Texas A&M, about any other schools when Bama's been paying for decades now. Stick with me, Joe Serralo, on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk. When we come back... Talking Mavs Warriors Game 1. You're listening to the Believe Hour on SportsMap Radio. All right, back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. And hey, if you haven't already, make sure you connect with me on social media. Catch me on Instagram at Joe Serralo. Catch me on Twitter at the Joe Serralo for behind the scenes stuff you can't get in just an hour on the air with me for a week. I'll give out bets, which I do every day my best bets, my best picks. Also takes that I just don't have time to squeeze into our hour together here on Sports Map Radio as part of the Believe Hour once a week. So hit me up on those socials. We've got to get to game one, the Dallas Mavericks and the Golden State Warriors. Now, I don't want to jump to too many insane conclusions based off of one game. We've seen this Dallas Mavericks team lose a game by 30 and then come back and win two by 30 in a row, right? So if I was going to sit here right now, 
and say, season's over for Dallas, forget about it, the Warriors showed who they are, that would be an unfair, quick, hot take, clickbait reaction. But the season's over for the Dallas Mavericks, right? I mean, the Golden State Warriors, there's a reason this team, this team's core players have been here before. They know what they're doing. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, there's a reason that those guys have three rings apiece, right? The Dallas Mavericks looked so flat coming out last night in game one, and they looked lifeless. I mean, Luka Doncic, who, you know, of course, there was that fun little rumor before the game was Luka out drinking a beer. The Mavericks said it was an old picture. If it was yesterday, if it was old, I don't really care. The guy's a hell of a ball player, and, you know, these guys are allowed to have lives, too. Wouldn't be the smartest thing to be out day drinking before a game, but I also don't think that that picture was taken yesterday. I do think it was an old picture. But Luka Doncic, he played like he probably just had a dozen beers in him. I mean, he was slow. He was lifeless. Draymond Green had him on lock. The Warriors had him on lock. The only guy on the Dallas Mavericks who showed any semblance of a pulse was Spencer Dinwiddie. By the way, Spencer Dinwiddie, he has shown some resurgence. He was a guy who early on in the playoffs was MIA. Nowhere to be found. Last couple games, Dinwiddie's come out. But Luka Doncic... He was nowhere to be found. You had Andrew Wiggins cooking him on offense and Draymond Green locking him down on defense. I mean, goodness, Luka was overmatched. Jalen Brunson, did you see the amount of space he was given whenever he had the ball? 0 for 5 from beyond the arc, and he was given a good 5 to 6 feet of separation every time that man touched the ball. And then Reggie Bullock, I mean, another guy who just, you know, couldn't throw a rock in the ocean. And that's all you're there to do, Reggie. 3 and D, and... There was none of either. No three, no D. The Dallas Mavericks were just as flat and embarrassing as the Phoenix Suns were in games six and seven of their last series. But here's been the weird thing with Dallas and with the NBA as a whole this postseason. There have not been close games. I mean, you know, I alluded to it in the opening. The last close game was over a week ago. May 11th was the last time we had a game decided by fewer than nine points. If you look at every game since May 11th, when the Milwaukee Bucks came back, they were down six, two minutes to go. They beat the Celtics 110-107 in that electrifying game five. Every game since then has been decided by 39, 9, 27, 13, 14, 28, 33, and now 11 and 25. Those games decided by 28 and 33, by the way, were both game sevens on Sunday. Celtics over Milwaukee by 28, and then Dallas over Phoenix by 33. Can the basketball gods give us a close game again, please? Can we get a game that isn't a 30-point blowout? There have been more 30-point games than there have been single-digit games in the past eight days. I mean, that needs to change. I just want to see some competitive basketball. And I have a feeling we're going to get some competitive basketball tonight. Marcus Smart should be back for the Celtics. So right after this show ends, or rather shortly after this show ends, that game two will be tipping off. And I think that'll be a lot closer than game one was. But my goodness, we just want some good basketball. Is that too much to ask? We've narrowed it down to the the best four teams in the NBA. Both teams in last year's finals are gone. Can we just get some good competitive basketball, please? But the Golden State Warriors, they came out competing in game one. I mean, Steph Curry, my best bet yesterday was Steph Curry under 27 and a half points because he'd gone under that mark in all four meetings with Dallas this regular season. Was only close in one of them. He had 27 one game, never eclipsed 21 
in the other three meetings. And so I'm thinking, all right, it's not a good matchup. Big size differential between him and Luka, even if Brunson's guarding him. Like Steph, I was looking for him to be a pass first guy in game one. Steph had 21 in 31 minutes. And if it wasn't such a blowout, he would have gone over. I only won that bet because Steph got pulled, barely touched the court in the fourth quarter because Golden State was up so big. And this is where their experience really just shined under the brightest lights. You know, Draymond Green. I love to give Draymond Green crap. A lot of people love to hate Draymond Green. I thought that Draymond Green, going on the post-game show with Ernie, Charles, and the guys, I thought that was so damn likable of him to do. And, you know, maybe if you're from a different generation than I am, maybe you're going to sit back and say it's unprofessional or it's showboating. I thought it was great, right? It's 2022, folks. And, you know, obviously you can interpret that statement in a lot of different ways. But from a basketball perspective here, we are consuming sports in a different way. We have more access to athletes than we ever have before. And I think watching that, that Draymond Green coming on the postgame show, didn't even shower right from his, you know, right from the locker room in his Warriors jumpsuit, hopping on that show with those guys and just talking with they all know best basketball and being transparent and being honest as to what the game plan was and why they executed. I thought that was amazing. Like for as much as I've always disliked this guy, I have to give him credit where it's due and say that, you know, that was better in my opinion than his podcast where sometimes I think he likes to say outlandish things just for, you know, clicks and whatnot. And that was just Draymond being Draymond talking basketball. And by the way, his basketball IQ, there's a reason this guy is still in the league after so many years because it is an offensive driven league and he has no offense to his game, right? So he just showed everyone on national television that his basketball IQ, if you didn't already know it, is through the roof. I mean, the way he talked about executing that game plan and eliminating Luka and hey, you know, make other guys beat you, do what you have to do. Draymond knows the game. He's made a career out of doing the little things, out of doing the dirty work. You know, I mean, he had 10 points, right? Draymond Green is never going to offensively light up your stat sheet. But the guy had nine rebounds. The guy can go for 10 assists any night. Steals, blocks. He'll give you two, three of each when you need him to. He does it all. He works. You you can't question it. Whether you like him or not, you cannot question. He works harder than the other nine guys out there on the court nine times out of 10. And the Warriors, the results showed, you know, Clay Thompson did nothing in the first half, didn't have a first half point. Who do you think was keeping him in the game in the first half, right? Steph had some pretty good shooting in the second quarter, didn't do squat in the first quarter. Draymond was huge in that first half. And oh, by the way, Andrew Wiggins. Can we talk about Andrew Wiggins, right? The former number one overall draft pick who on this team seems like the the fourth option. I mean, you've got Steph and Clay, obviously. And then you've got who? Jordan Poole, the third splash brother. I mean, Andrew Wiggins is like the splash stepbrother at this point, right? But I said it a few minutes ago. When he had the ball, Luka wasn't stopping him. Luka was not stopping Andrew Wiggins. I mean, you know, it's funny because all of this came out a few days ago. Patrick Beverly going on first take, saying that Chris Paul's a cone. And, you know, guys can't wait till they're matched up with Chris Paul because... You know, he can't guard anyone. He stands there like a cone on defense, like you're doing drills, right? And that's why Luka abused him. I don't know. Luka wasn't abusing anyone in this game. And, you know, guys have come out and said, oh, Luka abuses everyone. You know, how can you say that about Chris Paul? I love Chris Paul, but Luka abused Phoenix. He did not abuse anyone on Golden State. Like Draymond said post-game, they executed that game plan to damn near perfection. And... 
That's why it's not a hot take overreaction to say the Warriors are going to win this series. I'm not saying that Dallas' season is over. I'm not saying that they're going to get swept. I mean, this could damn well go seven games, right? That's not out of the equation yet. But if it does go seven games, it won't be Dallas moving on. Golden State is going back to the finals. I know people have given up on them. People have sold them past couple of years. You know, last year, not even making it to the playoffs, right? They got bounced in that play-in tournament by the Lakers. Steve Kerr is one of the best coaches of all time. Steph Curry is the best shooter of all time. Klay Thompson is a better Robin than Scottie Pippen. Draymond Green may be better at doing the dirty work than Dennis Rodman. The Golden State Warriors, there's a reason that they're a dynasty. That dynasty is not over. When we come back, it's the guy I promised, the guy with the best name in college football. General Booty joins the show. Stick around. You don't want to miss this. You're tuned into Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, on Sports Map Radio. What's up, guys? Back here on Serralo Sports Talk. And joining me now, it's the man who you've been hearing about all week. He is the newest Oklahoma Sooner. And despite not playing a down of D1 college football yet, he's already got the best name in the sport. General Booty, what's up, my man? How you doing? Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you on. And, uh, you know, before we get into anything else, obviously, I want to talk a lot of football with you. But there's something we have to address. And it's your name. And anyone who knows college football, they know you come from the Booty family. They know your uncles, Josh and John David, were great college quarterbacks. Your pops, Abram, was a standout uh, wideout at LSU. But, you know, names can be tough as a kid. And Booty can be a tough enough last name (laughs) to grow up with. But then, you have the name General Booty, and obviously you've been embracing the notoriety that's come your way this week when you made your announcement that you were going to be an Oklahoma Sooner. But how long did it take for you to embrace your name and for you to fall in love with General Booty? Yeah, you know, I guess growing up, I was just used to it. Uh, obviously, the last name in the family, like you said, uh, so it was nothing really different to me. And then uh, growing up in Shreveport, Louisiana, everyone knew uh, the Booty family just from football side of things. So. It wasn't looked at as, as different. Um, I know General is a unique name. I haven't met anyone with it yet, uh, but I really liked it growing up. Uh, I, I love my first name. And, and then I moving out to California when I got a little bit older, uh, kind of, I guess, shocked some people. Uh, they didn't never heard of the last name Booty. General, unique name. Thought it was, was funny, cool. I get a bunch of different comments. People were like, man, that's a great name. I wish I had your name. Uh, some people got uh, jokes and stuff. It would make me laugh here and there. But uh, it's it's been unique and and I wouldn't I love my name and wouldn't want to change it. Well, look, e- even outside of Louisiana, if you're living in California and you don't know the booty name, you're living under a rock because your uncle John <laughs> David dominated at USC oh, no for a doubt. few years. Uh, no let's doubt. talk about that announcement video, General, because mm-hmm. did you ever think you would get to two million views on Twitter? I mean, the video's gone viral. I've got so many questions. The gold cowboy hat, <laughs> that part. Were you going for like a little Nas look there? What, what was the whole inspiration no. behind that video? <laughs> no, nothing to do with little Nas. But no, uh, they, they made me a video when I was up there. Uh, something they just wanted to put together real quick. I actually didn't know how it was going to turn out uh, until they had sent it to me afterwards. And I thought it was really cool. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to put that out just to uh, notify people of, of my commitment and where I was heading to OU. But uh, like you said, yeah, I got 2 million views. I w- definitely wasn't expecting that. I d- wasn't posting it to go viral or anything. I was just uh, letting them, letting everyone know I was going to be a Sooner. So uh, that was pretty cool to see it, uh, I guess, go that big. But uh, it, it was fun. Yeah, it, it's been wild, man. So before we dive into the football aspect of things, 
what's been your favorite part of this past week? Uh, just my, my visit up to OU. Uh, I've never been up to Norman, so that was a fun experience and getting to meet the new coaches and uh, check out, I guess, I guess their whole new staff. I mean, they're, they're all brand new. So Coach Venables has done a great job putting together a, a new staff, and Coach Venables was awesome. We got to meet with him a little bit. But just check out the facilities, uh, walk around campus, and just see what it's like up there. Well, I'll tell you this, man. If football doesn't work out, you can go into broadcasting because you just took care of my segue for me. I was going to dive into Coach Venables. <laughs> He's in oh, his yeah. first year, obviously, the former Clemson D.C. And, mm -hmm. you know, with him taking over as head coach and with Dylan Gabriel, the UCF transfer, mm -hmm. who, you know, is obviously the likely candidate to be QB1 mm -hmm. on the depth chart. What was so attractive with so much, you know, new stuff going on in Norman? What was so attractive about that program to you? Really, is we sat down with Coach Venables and met with him, and he spent a great deal of time with me and my family. Uh, but obviously, watching him on TV, knowing his success at Clemson, you, you know he's a great coach and he's got the players' respect, but just getting to sit down and talk to him, uh, he really impressed me as far as his vision for the program, how much he talked about, how much he cared about the players and, and just the little things he did, did for them and is going to do for them. Um, and then his staff he surrounded himself with. You can tell I got to spend a lot of time with them over those couple of days, obviously. And you can just tell everyone on the staff is not only a great coach, but a great man. And uh, that really attracted me to the program. And uh, I thought that was the place for me. So, you know, when you look at Oklahoma, obviously it's a mm -hmm. top tier program. And, and you look at some of the other schools that were interested in you. New Mexico, mm -hmm. Liberty was rumored to be interested as well. And they just put a quarterback in the third round of the NFL draft in Malik Willis. So obviously Oklahoma is a tier above those schools, but mm -hmm. knowing that you might be able to go to a New Mexico or a Liberty and compete for a starting job right away, how much did that internal debate weigh on your decision? Yeah, it was definitely tough. Um, it was definitely thought about and talked about by me and my family. Uh, at the end of the day, though, uh, it's Oklahoma, like you said, is a top program. And uh, Dylan Gabriels has is, is never been healthy for a full season. So I'm not wishing anything upon him, but that's just the, how, how it's gone for him in the past. So there could be, if I could go in and, and win a two spot, there could be an opportunity to get on the field uh, early. And I still have, I have three years um, left to play. So I got time. Time's on my side. But I, at the end of the day, I was like, I'm going to have to go compete wherever I go. I might as well go compete at Oklahoma uh, at a national powerhouse and, and get better and, and go ahead and do it now. Yeah, you, you know, that's that's a great answer. I love your honesty, because when you talk about Gabriel and his past and his health, it's it's an unfortunate truth. But, you know, it, it's a it's a real thing to consider. And you're a thousand right. percent right. If you win that two mm -hmm. spot, you might see some playing time this year. So speaking of Gabriel, I want to know this is a mm -hmm. guy who obviously didn't play at a power five school, but he played at a damn good one and he won 10 right. games one year at a damn good one. So what's right. the top thing that you're looking to learn from him? Uh, going into it, I obviously haven't met him or talked to him yet. Uh, excited to meet him and get up there and learn from him. I would just say um, his experiences, like you said, he's, he's uh, won, he's won 10 games before and at UCF, which was a great program. And so he knows what he's doing. And uh, obviously he's, he's, he's doing things right. Um, more on just the leadership side of things uh, on the field at the end of the day, you can either do it or, or you can't do it. And you're going to have to put in a lot of work to be able to do it, um, which I'm willing to do, but just to see how things go um, in the locker room at, at the high level, like Oklahoma, see what things are like um, internally, um, just preparation for games, uh, stuff like that. So I'm excited to see how that, how that goes. 
So general, speaking of learning things, obviously your dad, kind of the black mm-hmm. sheep among the brothers, he was a wide out. You had yeah. two uncles who played quarterback, not only in college at LSU and USC respectively, but also in the NFL. So who taught you the most growing up? Obviously, you know, you didn't follow your dad's footsteps yeah. to become a wide receiver. So, you know, was it still your pops who worked with you the most or was it an uncle or was it someone else? No, that's, that's, that's a really tough one, actually. Uh, growing up in Shreveport, um, when I was younger, it was just it, my dad was around the most. And then my grandfather, uh, I learned a lot from him. And he taught me at a very, very young age, fundamentals and things like that. And we, I still work with them here to this day. Um, my dad taught me a lot, uh, but more on the mental side of things uh, for the football, but not really for quarterback since he didn't play quarterback. But he's always around to catch uh, for me. And whenever I want to go out and throw, he'd go do that. And then uh, my youngest uncle, Jack, um, he was in high school when I was growing up in Shreveport. So and, and he worked out uh, QBs after high school. So I did a lot of work with him early on and my grandfather. And then uh, John David, who was at USC, you know, he was in California. So I didn't get to spend much time with him early, early on. Uh, but when I moved out to California, uh, I got to spend some more time with him, work with him, kind of pick his brain since he played at a high level, um, see some things that he, he learned. And then Josh, Josh has always been around. Uh, and me and him probably worked the most as far as you look at throwing sessions, just going up to the field, throwing and working out. Uh, me and him spent the most time um, just going up to the field, him teaching me things, working on mechanics, throwing motion. We spent a lot of time this past off season, uh, getting my, uh, shortening my motion and just gaining arm, arm strength. So me and him probably put in the most time together for sure. That's awesome, man. It's amazing to have such a tight knit family where everyone's so hands on. And, you know, I'm lucky. I know your uncles, Josh and Jack, pretty well. And they're great guys. I can only imagine your dad and your Mm -hmm. uncle, John David, and your grandpa are are the exact same way. Oh, yeah, they're awesome. Pressure, if any, was there for you to maybe look at or consider LSU throughout this process? I mean, obviously, your dad and uncle Josh went there. Mm -hmm. Did they come calling at all with their new coach, Brian Kelly? You know, I was an LSU fan growing up. Uh, still going to be an LSU fan, just being from Louisiana. Um, always want to see them do well. I didn't get uh, any contact from Coach Kelly since he got there, and and they're kind of their QB room. If you look at it right now, they're kind of stacked. So I don't know if they would try to even take another QB right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if if they would ended up calling, yeah, that would have been something I would have considered just because it it'd be home. Uh, but yeah, uh, they didn't end up calling, so. Uh, had to move on, but I'll still be secretly cheering for for them as well. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, hey, it's going to be great for Louisiana in a couple of years. You and Arch Manning are going to be at mm-hmm. top tier programs in college football. It's going to be something incredible. Hey, before I let you go, General, I heard that yep. you already have an NIL deal in the works, and I may or may mm-hmm. not be repping that company. What can you yep, tell us about right Bula and, uh, and the deal that you've got coming out? Yeah, uh, Bula's family business, like you mentioned, uh, my uncle Josh Jack, they're working on it uh, right now. It's going to be an app that's launching here in June really soon. Um, I'm excited to be a part. Um, yeah, they, it was a, they, we talked about it, I guess, a couple of days ago. They wanted to be my first NIL deal, um, and I appreciate them for it. And so we're still working things out right now, but Bula will be coming out soon in the app stores. I want y'all, y'all to go check it out. Um, it's going to be a, a social uh, social betting app um, with your friends uh, just to make friendly friendly bets. But uh, it's, it's going to be it's going to take off once it hits. So I'm excited to be a part.
I, I can't wait to be a part of it too. You know, maybe we'll have to collab for a big announcement video that'll go viral again. Uh, no doubt. When Bula no comes out in about a month, man. General Booty, thank you so much for the time, man. I appreciate it. Of course. No, thanks for having me on. When we come back, I'm all over the Heat Celtics game that is just minutes away from tipping off. Why Jason Tatum is not the most impactful player on the court this series. Yeah, you heard that right. Heat Celtics minutes away from tip-off, and I'm all over the squad from South Beach. Stick with me, Joe Serralo, on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk. You're listening to the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio. We're back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. What a great spot right there from General Booty. You know, I think he is the youngest guest that I've ever interviewed on my show And you never know what to expect. I mean, you're dealing with someone who's, what, 19, 20 years old, just committed to a huge power conference powerhouse in college football in the University of Oklahoma. And I think he's got his head on his shoulders tremendously well. I mean, you know, this is a kid who's going to be successful. He's ready to embrace any role. You know, I I loved the answer about Dylan Gabriel. I mean, you know, it was honest. It was not offensive at all saying, you know, look, he's, he's a guy with a past of injuries. And I feel like if I can go out there and compete for that number two spot on the depth chart, I might see some playing time, you know, not wishing anything poor on Gabriel, but acknowledging a very real truth where the past two seasons he's dealt with injuries. And, you know, the backup at the University of Oklahoma at the quarterback position is going to be an important backup. And so, man, all the best to this kid. You know, we didn't even get to it. He had a 530-yard performance at Tyler Juco last season. 528 yards, eight touchdowns in the air. I think he scored a rushing touchdown as well. I mean, this kid's got talent, right? And he could end up slipping through the cracks and being, you know, one of the most under-recruited, talented quarterbacks at the D1 level if he gets his shot at Oklahoma and Brent Venable's offense. He could be a lot of fun to watch down there. He's got the gene pool for it. I'm excited to see what he makes out of his college career. He's only a sophomore, so he's got a lot of time to make a lot of noise. Just want to remind you all, if you want to catch that full interview, hit me up on socials, at Joe Serralo on Instagram, at the Joe Serralo on Twitter. You can get that full interview, the video of it. You can get behind-the-scenes takes, behind-the-scenes picks, bets, a whole lot more. So catch me on socials. Hey, we are about an hour away from game two in Miami, in South Beach, Heat, Celtics. And it's funny how the Celtics, they beat Milwaukee last series in seven, come back from being down 3-2. I'll admit it, I had them dead to rights last week. I, I was I was all Milwaukee. I got on the air right after that game five comeback by the Bucks, down six, two minutes to go, ended up winning by three. And I said the Celtics, this is a quote from me, I said the Celtics are toast. And they weren't. They proved me wrong. All while, meanwhile, Giannis Antetokounmpo turned out arguably the greatest series performance by a single player of all time. Right? Make no mistake about that. His team might not have won the series, but Giannis was otherworldly in that series. And all that does is prove just how important Chris Middleton is to the Milwaukee Bucks. And that even if you have the best player in the world just like the Dallas Mavericks, like we're seeing right now with Luka Doncic, you could have a top player, top five player, wherever you want to rank Giannis and Luka respectively. If you don't have 
a competent supporting cast around them, you cannot win a championship at the end of the day. And Chris Middleton, he makes that supporting cast championship caliber, championship worthy. Without him, no disrespect to Drew Holiday, he's a great number three. Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton, all really good supporting pieces. Giannis didn't have his Robin. And in in the NBA, arguably more than any other league, if you have a Batman, you need a Robin. You need, in the playoffs, maybe not in the regular season, but in the playoffs, you need a viable number two. And the Bucs didn't have a number two. That's why Giannis put up all these all-world, all-NBA historic stats But at the end of the day, his team in game seven lost by damn near 30 points. So now that happens and people are out here saying, is Jason Tatum the best player in the NBA? Folks, Jason Tatum's not the best player in this series. I don't get why Jimmy Butler is so underappreciated, why Jimmy Butler is frankly by so many so disliked. Jimmy Butler is a national treasure, right? To be able to watch Jimmy Butler, especially in the playoffs. I mean, first off, and I want to redact that especially in the playoffs remark, because in the NBA, it's common knowledge, guys give so much more effort in the postseason than they do in the regular season, right? There's load management, there's resting, guys play 70-80%. Jimmy Butler goes harder in most regular season games than most stars do. And yes, he is a star, don't get that twisted. But playoff Jimmy Butler is such a joy to watch because this guy is maybe the best two-way postseason performer we've seen in the past decade or two. I mean, yes, you've got Giannis. Giannis is an incredible two-way performer all year round. The guy's won uh, multiple MVPs. He's won multiple Defensive Player of the Year awards. So yes, obviously Giannis, we saw it last postseason, Tremendous two-way player. Bit of a different type of two-way player than Jimmy. Because Jimmy locked down Tatum. And I know Tatum still had damn near 30 points. I know he still shot almost 50% from the floor. What did Tatum do from beyond the arc? Two of nine. Jason Tatum, when he fails to shoot 30% or better from deep, the Boston Celtics are 0-3 this postseason. Jimmy had Tatum on lock from deep. And Jason Tatum, you know, look, there's been games where he's gone four of six, seven of 15, where he's he's had results from deep. But if he doesn't get in a rhythm early, forget about it. Three-point shooting is not his strength. He's a mid-range, drive-to-the-rack type of guy. And Jimmy never let him get in a groove. I mean, you look at his defensive stat line. We haven't even talked about what Jimmy did on offense. But you look at his defensive stat line. I mean, four steals, three blocks, He is as locked down in the clutch as Michael, for crying out loud, right? This is one of the best two-way players of our generation. Jimmy Butler is a dog. He is a pit bull. And he gives just as much on defense as he does on offense. And not a lot of superstars can say that in today's NBA. Jimmy and Giannis are a couple, not too many others. James Harden certainly ain't one of them. Chris Paul certainly ain't one of them. And I love Chris Paul. I've said that twice this episode now. I love Chris Paul. He certainly ain't the same on both sides of the court. Jimmy Butler is special, and he goes so under the radar. He is so underappreciated. I mentioned four steals, three blocks. The guy dropped 41, all right? He had over a third of his team's points in that game one victory at home. Bam Adebayo was nowhere to be found. It was almost like he didn't play. It was almost like he said, oh, Al Horford's not playing. I'll take the night off too. Bam did nothing, 
right? Duncan Robinson, this is a guy who's getting almost 30 minutes a game in the regular season. I can't remember the last time he played. I think he's seen minutes in one of maybe Miami's past five games, and they were not meaningful minutes. It was like five minutes against Philly in one of those games. Duncan Robinson has literally gone MIA. The Heat didn't have a whole lot of help. You know who did impress? I thought P.J. Tucker was pretty damn good. P.J. Tucker, speaking of Milwaukee and their lack of a supporting cast this time around, P.J. Tucker is a guy who the Bucks had and who I believe the Bucks miss. You know, obviously there have been plenty of games where Tucker registers 25, 30 minutes and has zero points. He had a clutch three down the stretch for Miami in that game one when Boston went on that little 10-0 run in the fourth quarter, started answering back. P.J. Tucker locked it down on offense, but don't get it twisted. Defense is where this guy shines. He's one of the best, most versatile defenders in the NBA. Can guard you two through four. He is special on defense. And Jimmy Butler said, hey, I'll take care of the offensive side of things. Tyler Hero playing hero. I mean, Tyler Hero has been so phenomenal. It's what, year three for him in the NBA? And he has, under the brightest lights this postseason, been extraordinary. And maybe it's a credit to the fact that as a rookie, you know, this guy got to the finals when Miami lost to the Lakers in the bubble down in Disney. But Tyler Hero, quite literally, playing like he's been there before. I mean, he he is just a tremendous piece of the supporting cast. But it all comes back to Jimmy Butler. And, you know, you talk about star power, and some people look at Miami and they say, well, they got a really good team, and they're coached really well by Eric Spolstra, or they have a good system, but they don't have a star. And that's just dead wrong, because the Miami Heat do absolutely have a star, just like the Celtics have a really good roster and a really good coach, but they are led by their star, by Jason Tatum. Well, the Miami Heat have a great coach, a great roster, a great game plan, and they have a superstar in Jimmy Butler. I think I mentioned it last week on this show about his days in Minnesota because I was talking about how Philly dropped the ball by letting Jimmy Butler go by choosing Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons as a part of their future over pairing Butler with Embiid for the long term. You know, I, I referenced what Jimmy did in Minnesota when there were questions about some of his teammates, the effort they were given in practice. And he said, all right, you four starters, take the sixth man. I'm going to scrimmage you guys, myself, and four of our third string guys. And what did Jimmy Butler and the third string guys do? They whooped the starters up and down the court. Because that's who he is. When Jimmy Butler wants to take over a game, better yet, when he needs to take over a game, Jimmy Butler takes over a game. And like I've said, he does it on both sides of the floor. And that's why for the Boston Celtics, it is so crucial to have a chance in this series, to have a shot, that they get Marcus Smart back. Al Horford's big. There's no doubt about that. Al Horford had, you know, of course, he's had a couple tremendous standout games this postseason. I think he's contributed more already than anyone else could have ever expected Al Horford to contribute on a playoff team. But Marcus Smart is the guy the Celtics were really missing. Because at the end of the day, the Celtics showed life in the fourth quarter, right? I talk about the lack of close games lately. And yes, it was a double-digit game. The Heat won by 11. But the Celtics went on a 10-0 run in the fourth quarter. Now, they had dug themselves too deep of a hole, really, to do much with it. But they did show fight. They did show life. If you have Marcus Smart, maybe that hole that you dug too deep isn't too deep. If you have Marcus Smart out there, maybe Jimmy isn't getting to the rim at ease. Maybe he gets his pocket picked a time or two. I mean, look. There's no guaranteeing it, but Marcus Smart, hello, was the defensive player of the year for a reason. At the very least, maybe it takes Tyler Hero out of the game a bit when he's on the court. Maybe he doesn't drop 18. It's a closer game when Marcus Smart is out there. And oh, by the way, 
because Marcus Smart never gets any respect for what he contributes on offense. Yeah, he averaged 12 points a game this season. That's yeah, it's good. You know, it's nothing that's going to change anyone's life. He's averaging 15 a game in the postseason. Marcus Smart is doing it on both ends of the court for Boston this postseason. You know, I mentioned how Al Horford single-handedly won a game or two against Milwaukee. Marcus Smart, without him, the Celtics don't beat the Bucs. You know, the Celtics are doing what you need to do in the playoffs, right? Jason Tatum's leading the way, but Horford's stepping up. Smart's stepping up. And that same formula is what's going to work against Boston this series because Butler's leading the way for Miami. Hero stepped up game one. Even though Butler took it over, Hero was there. Bam's going to step it up at some point. Hero might even take a game over, win it himself at some point. The Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics, this matchup is so special because these teams are so similar. Jimmy and Jason Tatum, neither of those two guys lighted up from beyond the arc, right? Their strength is mid-range game, attacking the rim, getting to the free throw line. They've got strong supporting cast, Jalen Brown, who I haven't even mentioned yet. Al Horford, Marcus Smart versus Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry isn't even healthy. I mean, if Kyle Lowry is playing also, don't forget, it's a different, different series. We'll see if he's able to come back. Hopefully, I'd imagine he should be back this series. So with Lowry out there, I mean, this is just a mirror image of each other, these two teams. They are deep. They are well-coached. They have, you know, stars who who play an old-school, tough type of basketball. I just got to go with the vets here. I got to give the edge here to Jimmy, to Kyle, to the Miami Heat. I mean, everything we saw in Game 1, and I know Game 1 doesn't determine the series. A lot of teams this postseason especially have won Game 1 and gone on to lose the series. But, man, I just, Jimmy's different. And Jason may have more raw talent, may have more finesse, but there's no questioning. Jimmy Butler's the toughest guy on the court anytime he's on the court. And I think the Miami Heat, led by Jimmy Butler, are going to give the Boston Celtics fits this entire series. And I think because of that, it's going to be Boston's last series of the NBA season. We're going to come back with my final word, so stay locked in. You're listening to Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, as part of the Believe Hour on SportsMap Radio. All right, it is time for my final word on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. Thanks for spending this Believe Hour with me here on SportsMap Radio. And, you know, there was a lot that I wanted to talk about in this final segment. I wanted to conclude the show with my favorite sport personally, baseball, because there's a lot of good baseball being played right now, especially in New York and L.A., both teams in both of those cities. Absolutely killing it. But there's something more important than sports. And of course, it ties into sports ultimately. That needs to be addressed right now. And that's what happened last weekend in Buffalo. The shooting that left 15 people, 15 black people dead at a Topps grocery store. A shooting that was performed by an 18-year-old white supremacist who wrote about what he was going to do in online chat rooms, who had automatic weapons and military gear on. Uh, I mean, this kind of killing, this kind of hatred, this kind of racism needs to end in this country. And, you know, sports are a great escape for a lot of people, but unfortunately there are too many people who can't afford to have an escape from the sad reality that is out there right now. And that's why I want to take you know, these final two minutes to discuss what happened and also to commend, 
you know, members of the Buffalo community. I went to school an hour outside of Buffalo. So this hits really close to home for me because I only graduated two years ago, almost to the day. I'm not far removed from the Buffalo community, from being at St. Bonaventure myself. And so I want to commend the Buffalo Bills, the Sabres, the Bandits for pulling together, donating over $400,000 to Buffalo charities. I want to commend guys like Stefan Diggs, who are on vacation right now, who don't have to be anywhere near Buffalo, who can be on a tropical island, who flew in to serve food to local homeless and poor people in the Buffalo community. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a Long Islander originally. I definitely identify more with Long Island and New York City than I do with Buffalo. But I can tell you, after seeing it up close for four years in college and knowing so many people from Buffalo, that is one tight-knit, strong not even just city, but community. And to see how they've rallied this past week has been inspiring. But at the end of the day, there shouldn't be a need for them to rally like this. This senseless, awful, hatred-killing racism in this country needs to end. And that does it for this episode of Serralo Sports Talk. Thanks for spending the hour with me, Joe Serralo, on this show. You were listening to the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.